not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! Everybody and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski, and oh, oh, there's somebody sitting to my left, and it is none other than Tracks of the Damned host and former co-host of this show. Please welcome Patrick Rapol. Yo 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 yo! What up, son? What up, son? Big up, the Brooklyn. Um, Patrick, you've changed quite a bit since you've left the show. My name's DMX, son. Oh, okay. Well, Mr. DMX... Are we going to do a commentary track for exit wounds? <laughs> well, we certainly could do that. Um, I would be all for it, to be I was in belly. You see that one? No, I missed it. I'm too scared to see it. Hype Williams, yo. My DMX impression started at worst impression ever, and then somehow got, like, seven times worse than that. Is it, is it because you miss my Muppet voices that you decided to start doing that? I, it, it just it just struck me, and sometimes you just gotta go with your instincts. Hmm. Also, the feeling of being on a podcast that isn't my own is very freeing, and I can just do whatever That's the hell true. I want, because it's not gonna tank the quality of my show. It'll tank the quality of this show. Yes, not my show, which is Tracks of the Dam from the Now Playing Network. It's a horror film commentary track podcast. Yes, I'm very, very happy with that show and how it's. it just keeps getting better. I think every episode really gets better. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I enjoy it, and I especially enjoy just catching up with these films and hearing, uh, I put you in my earbuds, and it's like you're here in the room with me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's the idea. It is, and it works out well. So I hope others will check that out. It's nice to be in the room with you again. Yes, it is. Since I used to be the co-host of Director's Club. That's right. I don't know if there's anyone who has listened, who started listening since I left, but... I think it's very possible. This used to be the thing we always did. Mm-hmm. When we lived in the same area, and we would always get into the same room and look into each other's eyes and say bullshit. That's true. And now look at where we are. Yeah, it's been quite a journey, thinking back We should be doing to... this at Riot Fest. <laughs> <laughs> Why really, not? Yeah, this kind of re- a reunion of this level demands a uh, summer music festival. Yeah, and I demand during our time slot that... Nobody serves meat on the premises. That's very good. Yeah, that's very good. So that's an that's an exciting um, prospect is us doing this live at some point, but uh, I don't think we'll get there quite yet. No, 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 not yet, not yet. But yeah, no, it's 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 been quite the journey to thinking back to, you know, you visiting my apartment in Logan Square to me moving to Michigan to me losing my mind, to um, moving back to Elgin and becoming much happier and much stable, much more stable, and uh, you're, you're, you're doing well where you're at. You're working at a yes. video store. and That's true. Going, That's, going that is strong. the definition of doing well. I think so. <laughs> when I, you know what? Ten years ago, I was working at a video store. Now, I'm working at a video store. <laughs> Well, I you know that's the definition of success, people, right? People Doing the same thing and expecting different results. What do people say that like college are the best years of your lives? Like everybody wants some kind of stuff. For me, it was yeah. the, it was for me it was the two and a half years I worked at a video store. Yeah, I mean I was younger then. But I still. think this is I think this is the best. I was about to say this is the best year of my life, but actually this year outside of myself, just 
as a country has been the worst year of my life. Uh, yeah, this I is, would say so. So so maybe that's not accurate. It's getting but, more um, and more terrifying that every time you turn on the news, let's not talk about that. Because we're all. all about diversions here. We're mm-hmm. all about digressions and diversions and... Uh, Forget that di- it's all ending. Dichotomies. Dichotomy. Um, what other dies? Dionicus. Okay. It's like with the vol- Velociraptor. Mm. Velociraptor it basically is really a Dionicus because real, in real life, Velociraptors are like three feet tall. Oh, really? Yeah. But Dionicus isn't something that like children can say. So Jurassic Park, they, I think they made... I think, that's, I think that's the case. I could be... I'm not the dinosaur... There's, you know what? You know what mm. is guaranteed? That every podcast has at least one person listening who's obsessed with dinosaurs. Oh, really? So you'll get corrections. I won't have to listen to them, but... I don't mind. You'll get corrections if I'm wrong. So, Patrick, what are we doing? Uh, I think we're going to do a commentary, which we haven't done since Creepshow, if I'm not no, mistaken. No, it's been a long time, and that one was only replacement because we couldn't find Gordy. That's true. Um, that will be. Cha- that, we that still can't find Gordy, so we're going to go with something different. I found him on VHS at the uh, thrift shop, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you put it in? Watch the scene where they put sunglasses on the pig to show yet. he's big time. Not yet. Uh, it's pretty it good. Doesn't feel right watching it without you around. Yeah. Did you watch? If, if you it, the Gordy drinking game is drink every time you see a pig's asshole. Oh God! It is. <laughs> it's it's you'll get drunk. Well, we are go- not watching Gordy. We are watching The Thing, John Carpenter's 1982 classic. Very similar to Gordy. Classic. Because doesn't Gordy like turn into a big giant fl- flesh flower and start devouring other pigs? Right. And doesn't Child save the mayor's uh, son from drowning in a pool? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Uh, well, you know, it's it's it, you know, it's what it's like they say. It's it's hard to keep track. Gordy, The Thing, they run together. Right. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing this commentary track. This isn't, for, for those listening from Tracks of the Damned, this isn't a Tracks of the Damned, super well-researched sort of a thing. This is more me and Jim uh, hanging out, enjoying each other's company, and sort of reminiscing about a really great horror movie that we both yeah, like a lot. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Uh, you know, this will be available as a bonus episode, which you can, or, you know, if you want to throw a little change our way, that's nice to help out the network and all the podcasts. But, of course, I don't, I, it's always an option. It's not mandatory. I don't make people pay for something as ridiculous as a movie commentary from Jim and Patrick. That's right. But you can if you want to. Absolutely. It's, uh, out of the kindness of your own heart. That's right. But, um, yeah, so we're going to sync this puppy up and get started here for John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing. Same year as E.T. Yeah, E.T. came out two months before this film. I want to say two before or right after? Yeah, it was before. Oh, it was before, okay. Yeah, because this kind of bombed because people weren't ready for angry, mean aliens. Sure, sure. Um, So, you know, one of the reasons we chose The Thing is you probably own a copy. There's only one cut of The Thing. They got it right the first time. There's no need for any kind of director's cut. So all you need to do to sync up with our copy is find your copy of the movie. And uh, so go ahead and do that now. Alright, welcome back. So now that you have your copy of the movie, here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to put it in the player, press play, um, you're going to see some production company logos or whatever, but the first actual credit on the film you're going to see is in that that, uh, indefinably great uh, sort of John Carpenter font, you're going to see a universal picture. And as soon as you see that credit... 
fade in, you're going to pause it, and then you'll be synced up with our copy. So uh, go ahead and do that now. Welcome back. So now that we're all synced up, we're ready to start. Um, Jim, do you have any words you want to say before we watch The Thing? I am very excited to be doing a commentary for what I consider to be a masterpiece, uh, one of the all-time great horror films, and certainly in my top five favorite horror films of all time. Mm -hmm. But I also have, um, I would say, a questionable theory that um, came up when I saw this on the big screen at Nick DeGilio's, um movie club showing at the Movie Co. in Rosemont, where after I watched it and I was driving home, I had this thought. And it could be completely ridiculous, and Patrick will probably argue at the end that it's 100% ambiguous, but I... You this, think you know I think I if know. one of them is a thing at yeah, the end. Yeah, I when think we get, I do. When we get there, we'll have that conversation. Yes. All right. Um, but until then... I want you to hit play, dude. Okay, so what's going to happen is, don't hit play yet, uh, we're going to say 3, 2, 1, play, and when I say play, Jim's going to hit play, and you're going to hit play, and we'll be watching the movie together. All right, you got it? So here we go. 3, 2, 1, play. Love that font. What is it with that font? Is that, does that font have a name? I don't know, and I want to say... That it's been used since, of course. Uh, yeah, the, guest, the guest, the <laughs> yes. of course. Your favorite. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think I think it's a very one of my favorite scores. That's right. Are we hearing the music now? No. It's we have obviously we have the volume lowered a little bit, so there is okay. So we are hearing that droning a little bit. Yeah. Great effects by Rob Bottin, of course. It's really interesting that any of he got Ennio Morricone to make a score that sounds like John Carpenter. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always been a question of how much did Carpenter contribute to the score. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, cause you do have some synth bumps in there, you know, like some bump, 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 like the, the usual one note on right. the synth kind of sound. I think that is most of the score. Yeah. Is is the synth stuff? I'm you don't think any of it more is Bill Lancaster an actual a guy or is he in a pseudonym? No, he's not a pseudonym. He's okay. a real man who wrote it with John Carpenter. John Carpenter just didn't give himself credit. I see. Okay. But uh, Bill Lancaster is a real guy who um, yeah, that's right. adapted it. I forgot what else he adapted off the top of my head, but I have to look that up. This is a movie full of some of the greatest special effects mankind has ever known. Yeah, and it's, it's nice that they get too. the one bad one out of the way. Well, not bad, but yeah, it's fine. It's not mind blowing in the way every other effect in this movie is. It's kind of dated in a way most of those are. And then this, of course, was shot. You know how you do this? Yes. How? <laughs> because <laughs> you fill, I know like, you fill you a fish me. tank with smoke, and you put a you put a light with the cutout right. of the thing okay. title over it. And then over that, you put a garbage bag that you burn. And so when the garbage bag burns away, it reveals the logo of the thing. And what, now we're getting the... Is that what John Landis did for the Thriller? The thr no, the Thriller was the Suspiria sort of pulsing, uh, oh, okay. inflating, inflated thing. Because I feel like somebody else did that. I'm sure someone else did. To some I mean, to, 
you know, someone who definitely did it was Howard Hawks for The Thing from Another World. Okay, yeah. Well. <laughs> so that, that, that title sequence was taken. It's, it's interesting that the camera's a little shaky here. Which you hate at first. It's no, it's not. This isn't Paul Greengrass. <laughs> oh, this it's is just the same it's hand. It's a handheld. It's someone walking backwards. This is the same screenwriter as the Bad News Bears, the original. Oh, huh, there you go. That's where I I, see I'd like to think that this uh, Arctic uh, expedition team sort of has a Bad News Bears quality to them. Absolutely. The only thing this movie is missing is Walter Matthau. Isn't that the end of Bad News Bears? The they say, "Well, fuck you." No, they don't say. They don't use the F word. I thought so too, but they don't use the F word in that. No. But it is, but it does basically have the same thing where they lose, but they lose like yeah. ungracefully mm-hmm. and on their own terms. Exactly, which yeah. is the <laughs> which is what happens in this film. So there is a bad news bears quality. I like. Obviously, the music is great, mm-hmm. um, and the way that you're we're building up the information there is that the first shot of the dog we see. Yes, not the same dog we later see now inside the, f- the camp. Now, the first time I saw this, I thought this was the dog was leading them to discover something. It's I, what, it, yeah, I mean, maybe the thing has um, some sort of an instinct of, as to where other humans may be. I don't know, or he's just simply running away because he's being, uh, you know, chased. And who goes there? The thing is psychic. Oh well, that yeah, that's a possibility. It might be psychic in this too. They just don't discover it. None of the characters discover it. But yeah. that is the explanation for why the thing can imitate human beings despite never seeing them. Mm-hmm. Is that it psychically has been reading their minds this whole time and understands their thoughts and therefore can behave like them? Because otherwise, it'll just be like a crazy alien brain inside of a human's body, and that's not very convincing. Right. So maybe in this film as well, it's psychic. They just don't discover it. But yeah, so like the the gunfire, of course, like really surprised me. These are really great Western sort of sh- like John Ford kind of shots. Yeah, absolutely, the beautiful aerial shots. And the way the music hasn't stopped yet, it's just it is just like building dread and connecting all of these scenes. Mm-hmm. And poor guys, they couldn't get any beer while they were there. Really? Yeah. The actors or the or the characters? Both. <laughs> well, they had some J&B. Of course. Now, here's where my theory begins. It's J&B, right? Oh, is this, is this going to be uh, the initials now, line up and that's why uh, Obama's think of, now the Antichrist? Think of the computer as the thing for a second. Sure. It's imitating a human. Yes. Towards the end here... He loses this game, and what does he do? He gives the computer a drink of whiskey. Uh Uh-huh. That's what happens at the end of this movie. Okay. That's the very last thing. And the first thing we see is him drinking whiskey and essentially playing a simulation of a human being. And look, this is what he decides to do. (laughs) Gives it a drink. Like... Okay, you're mad that you lost the game. Why would you decide to kill your computer? Because it's a of funny that? introduction to the character. It's a funny introduction. I to remember the Regina. I watched this with my partner Regina for the first time this year, and they were under the impression that it was a more realistic uh, film than it actually is, and they because it is a Hollywood movie, and it yeah. is in the best sense. It is a great like Hollywood tale. Like he is introduced as a sort of crazy, kind of uh, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, almost kind of a rugged, masculine character. But he, it's also, it has a broad humor of him destroying the computer that 
doesn't make strict logical sense, but it's a fine way to introduce the character. I have no clue if they intended it within the screenplay or Carpenter did it all we'll, to, t- we'll, to tie it into the, what happens at the very okay, end. Okay, we'll talk about that when we get to the end. Because again... It's just an idea I had. We've already established that he is the lead. We have, yes. We've had no real reason to suspect he's the hero, which is, a, which is a cool thing this movie does, is he becomes sort of the hero later mm-hmm. when he is forced to but he's already the lead in the in the audience's mind so it doesn't become a surprise later when he takes charge right in the uh, short story he is the he is the lead figure the entire film or the entire story he's also not a uh, helicopter pilot in that story he's a meteorologist oh that was one of the first careers i thought about it when i was a kid you know you don't have to be like licensed to be a meteor- meteorologist it's not an actual like term the way that uh like a doctor or something is huh i mean you have to go to school for it i assume um probably to get hired but there isn't an actual like you it's not a title in the same way Hmm. that a uh that a doctorate or something is that's interesting yeah now i was a weird there is a institute of meteorology that you know yeah, I will really, determine I whether love... or not you're qualified, but it's not a but it's a self-governing body. It's not an official thing where I, you would get a license or something. I loved storm chasing and all that stuff. Yeah. I didn't actually do it. I just liked watching it. <laughs> so yeah, here we go with uh, the dog being so loving. I about... really yeah, and the first time I saw this movie, I didn't know anything about it other than it was great. This is another goofy part. Well, yeah, I mean what a horrible mistake to make in that moment. I like those. I imagine Appar- that's to stop sto- snow blindness. Apparently, he's saying in Norwegian that that dog isn't human. Sure. Oh, I, you know. Context clause. <laughs> <laughs> the second time you see this movie, you can guess as much. But, uh, sure. This is also a third choice that someone makes that is kind of ridiculous. Like, I guess that I guess that room is just now flooded with snow for the rest of the year. I'm just saying it establishes well, I'm, I'm sure a, a Hollywood. Repaired, I'm sure they repaired that window. They could re- maybe repair the chess computer too, but it seems <laughs> seems like a rather uh, I don't know, man, crazy choice. I'm just saying it establishes the tone of this movie as being more Hollywood and being a broader thing as opposed to a realistic psychological drama. Oh, there's moments of levity. There's moments of, you know, it's not all dark and serious through the whole film, of course. I, yeah. I realize that. Yeah. I mean, that could just be a simple choice to um, present the character like you like you mentioned early on with the, with the chess game, but uh, it's just interesting that that's how it starts and that's how it ends. We'll get there when we get there, Jack. I know, I'm excited. <laughs> Is that a stingray he's stomping on? Yes, it's a stingray he's mm. stomping on. Now, this is not uh, in either the uh, original film nor the short story that this film takes more from than the uh, than the Howard Hawks film does. Mm. Um, in both of those, it is the main characters are the team who discover the anomaly in the ice. Ah. This was a very good invention... Um, a to create more tension and mystery at the very beginning, and to open up top with something that's kind of very exciting, um, and B to uh, sort of set up a, set up the moment that we're going to be seeing later with the dog, 
um, that is just not the same uh, in the uh, in the other two. Now, wasn't the remake versions. essentially, or not the remake, but the I guess it's the prequel, the one the with... The pre-make. Ugh. They say it. They say pre-make, and they the don't say it Mary in the Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Isn't, yeah. that, isn't that just the Norwegian crew, too? That, that is... That, that discovers the... That thing. is my understanding. I had to turn that movie 30 minutes off, 30 minutes in, because it's terrible. Yes. And this is Windows, played by Thomas Waits. He was originally a, a Latino character named Sanchez. Ah, That's Wilfred Brimley, everybody. And uh, you might remember him from Quaker Oats commercials. Cocoon. Cocoon. And uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if everybody says diabetes, but he always said diabetes. Yes. I like this uh, establishing shot, too. It's establishing mm-hmm. that we're now being introduced to all sorts of all the characters and they each get one moment to sort of distinguish yeah their personality type yeah like one's a stoner one's a tough military man what's the what's the name of the stoner uh is he fuchs i don't know i oh palmer there palmer, we go palmer palmer yeah he's played by david clennon he's the other pilot which is why yeah. <laughs> which is why Kurt Russell's the one who goes up Now if Jay Cheel were with us today he would know a whole lot <laughs> little details and nuances he's mm-hmm. seen this film many 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 times and it's probably um his one of his all-time favorites and the film that Influence him to uh, become a filmmaker in his own right, and that's totally understandable. You see a John Carpenter movie at an impressionable age, then yeah, it's because he's one of the first filmmakers whose director's names I became familiar with because of Halloween. Well, uh, yeah, he always put his name up top. Yeah, exactly, and also a filmmaker that was one of his movies was probably on cable or just readily available. Like, even at the video store, there would always be multiple copies of his films. Yeah, Halloween was definitely that movie for me. I wanted to make another... I wanted to make a Halloween movie as soon as I saw that. Yeah, no, totally. Southwest, don't play Southwest. At this point, he's not making... He's not really... That's the first decision he really makes... (laughs) in the film he's not in charge he doesn't he seems to be sort of ambivalent about getting to the bottom of anything i think we should bring back sweatbands you think so yeah i think we should uh bring back uh ping pong (laughs) that is one i think john carpenter said that was the best actor he ever worked with it's great dog dog acting that you're gonna see some really good dog acting later that's some braille Brero always cracks me up. I know, right? I don't think Kurt wanted to wear that, if I recall. No? No, I think it was just a silly decision that John Carpenter made that he uh, he had to live with. I think it's a great choice. I think it really hammers home, like, he's an, he's an eccentric guy, and then later when they all turn on him, it makes sense. Yeah. Whereas uh, McCready in the original Who Goes There is the guy who's always in charge, and he's sort of described as, like, the u- uber-masculine ultra-male that everyone instantly looks to f- 
for guidance and mm-hmm. at no point does anyone really question him he has to be the uh, there's a there's a scene later where uh he doesn't know if he is infected so he's the only one who ever questions himself right and pretty much every plan that anyone has as far as dealing with the thing comes from McCready so I like this is much more of an a uh, uh, that's a very American 30s this mm-hmm. is this is much more of an American 80s kind of a character you got to love the fact that he's listening to superstitious by Stevie Wonder I get there's no there's no supernatural elements in this film not so. yet None. There's no supernatural elements in this film. Well, <laughs> it's I mean, all so science. Isn't superstitious? Doesn't, couldn't that mean just like you're skeptical about someone or something? Or no, superstitious means that you believe in sup- the supernatural. Hmm. I don't know. I guess so. Not. It's not. She's very skeptical. Writing on the wall. Well, yeah, I guess. So here's the great dog acting. You're going to see the very pensive steps. Uh, peeking, yeah, and peeking their head first in. This dog knew not to look at that damn camera. Well, except there. No, it's looking. <laughs> it's looking past it. See, look, it's eyeline. It wasn't looking at the camera. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And then it stops again. This is all one shot. This That's would, an awesome shot. Very hard to do with that pause that and everything. And everything too. It's nice. Real nice. And I like those that sort of uh, fade to blacks to create more ambiguity. Ambiguity is probably how it's pronounced. Um. Get more of the landscape. Really, just have to like hammer home, despite the fact that the, it's it opens with one group of human beings running to the other. They're mm-hmm. they are actually completely stranded, and it's not as if there's a lot of these ice stations around. Exactly. Yeah. As I think they were in filming this, they they had to build a good camaraderie amongst one another because they were kind of isolated. I don't I don't remember specifically what country they were in filming this but i think it was alaska i think they were in america yeah maybe but it was uh alaska or maybe it was like canada Canada. but yeah uh it was still north america he said it was like more often than not 30 below with a wind chill of like 60 to 70 below on a regular basis now this is the antarctic right yes okay That, I think that is the case for all of the versions of the thing. So this is not considered your... is This is not your favorite John Carpenter movie? So no. Oh, it's Halloween? No, Halloween's my favorite. Okay. This might be this might be better made than Halloween, but... Yeah, Halloween is so. like, for personal reasons. Sure. Also, um, you know, I... The set design in this is incredible. The art, the art, the art design here is great because when you're in this building here, you constantly see how exposed it is. You're seeing all these holes out to the outside world and stuff, but it it really does feel like totally destroyed. Um, and then at the other place, there is a sort of real uh, convincing sort of uh, all. I feel like all of the uh, colors on the inside of the other of the American base kind of make it feel like it it's ice it doesn't necessarily have the beige that you would assume a government building would have inside it doesn't necessarily feel as cozy it feels yeah. more like the the ice base in hoff um and uh i i love i love the art design and i think they did a really great job but i really really love horror that i feels like it's coming home where i live and like where i relate to and 
Hmm. Uh, and Halloween being like Michael Myers is this force invading the suburbs. It just on a subconscious level is more affecting to me. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I mean, also I'm just not a sci-fi guy, so I don't, in, I don't find like inherent joy in the fact that there are aliens in this as opposed to Halloween. Hmm. No, it's, I, I don't know if I feel the kind of joy with, with aliens. I'm, I feel more dread. Like when people get excited, like, oh, we heard something. We heard something from those uh, same uh, um, radars that were used in contact, and maybe we, we, we have finally found alien life forms. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. No. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm more skeptical. Or superstitious. I think this is the first effect we see in the whole movie. And it's a really mm-hmm. good um, one. I don't know how... They, they use some sort of substance that you can also find in Twinkies. Ah. Like a congealing kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah, so every time you eat a Twinkie, just think of uh, the thing. Rob Botton worked his ass off uh, building all of these sculptures and stuff. And the thing about this movie is, despite the fact there is mostly just like one creature, mm-hmm. and there's not, it's not like a whole fleet, it's not a whole army of aliens or anything, because the thing is constantly mutating, pretty much every shot is its own unique puppet um there is no mask there's no costume that someone got in and out of every day yeah um and obviously that's what makes it so creepy and inhuman and so convincing because it doesn't there's no point where you can say oh yeah well that's a guy in a suit that's where that's where the mask would be put on or anything but also that means this was like one of the most work intensive films rob bot never made he of course exhausted himself he worked seven days a week for months and months lived at the studio basically never left uh, he recalled uh, in the uh, documentary on the DVD, he said, there was a definite point towards the end where John Carpenter just sort of looked at me and goes, I don't think you look too well. <laughs> but, you know, got results. It's because they couldn't get beer up there. Or weed. Or well, no, Rob use. Bond was working back at the studio. Oh, yeah. A lot of the stuff in the in the actual ice station mm-hmm. science post outpost is studio. Those are sets. Oh, okay. Those aren't, uh, those aren't in the Arctic. It's only these exteriors. And, st- and I don't even think, in, right. I, I think this is a set as well. I would imagine so. Now this happens in the original thing too, where they discover. Well, they, the, uh, they discover it themselves. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the original thing. That's sort of the that's sort of what separates this from the uh, short story and the thing from another world is that um, they know they're dealing with aliens immediately, and it's only after oh. it's thought out they think, well, it's of course it's dead, and it's only after they thought out the big surprise is that oh, they're it's not dead, it's alive and it's trying to kill us. Hmm. Whereas this film's great feat is that it builds up all this atmosphere and tension. But you don't actually know what's happening um, until the dog scene. And that dog scene is the scariest, craziest thing. And it, it kind of all comes to a head at once very rapidly and very intensely. It's first glimpse of the thing being destroyed to some capacity. Um, that's <laughs> really impressive. And, you know, you think about foreshadowing of things to come. This is what they're going to have to deal with later on with all the gasoline surrounding them. Sure. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's smart to tease the audience, too. That's a like, fade to white, not yeah. a fade to black there. That's still nice. 
Also, it hasn't cut back to the base since they left. So you True. don't. So at this point, there's still big question marks about who has been exposed to the dog and who could have turned. Right. And at this point, you know there's something up with the dog. Um, but you don't know what. I didn't know that this was an alien. Because, again, I didn't know the premise of the thing when I first saw it. I first saw this. They they played this pretty much uncut other than language. Um, you know, there's no nudity. But they kept all the violence in for uh, and a widescreen, which in the time before HDTVs, most... Uh, most uh, TV stations didn't air stuff in widescreen, but I saw this on the Sci-Fi Channel, and it was to promote the Thing video game that was coming out on PS2 and Xbox. Oh, wow. Was that any good, that game? It's interesting. Hmm. Um, it's like a... It's, it's a it takes place after this, and you're finding, like, McCready's audio diaries and stuff, and it's... Oh, okay. You're wandering through these Arctic bases and stuff, and you're with people, but whenever they're not... Like, it's it's kind of phony <laughs> compared to the movie but basically uh you can be fighting with two other like squad mates or whatever but then one of them will turn into a thing so you have these like blood tests that you have to keep giving everyone and nice. you have to like manage their ammo so if you think someone might be a thing you take away their weapon okay so it, it had some interesting stuff it wasn't actually like a very good game but i i enjoyed it but at the very least it was the reason i saw the thing for the first time and it was that was pretty great That is just amazing. That's a work of art. Put that in a museum. Yeah. Rob Botton was very particular about these things, uh, uh, these things that he built, um, <laughs> because basically you can never cover it with enough KY jelly to make it look real, Ugh. because that's how you get it all dripping and goopy and yeah. slick and looking like a, a real sort of a flesh thing. It's a great... That that the dog being absolutely still like that is really I know, great. It's amazing. Also, the fact that uh, Windows has fallen asleep. Um, in the uh, who goes there, the char- the character who isn't his this character isn't in the uh, in the uh, movie, but the character who is sort of supposed to stay up with the thing as they're thawing it out. Hmm. He's the first to be taken over, and he falls asleep, and he thinks it's a nightmare he had about the thing coming to life, but then he wakes up and it's gone. And huh. he's the first one taken over. I see some blue hues. But uh, Rob Botton was very particular. You couldn't have enough KY jelly and you couldn't have too little light because he was convinced that if it, things were too well lit um, or if you saw too much of it as the whole, um, you would be, you would instantly be able to tell that it was fake. So as you mm-hmm. see, it's always these close-ups where you're not seeing the whole thing at once. Um, right. And it's that's smart thinking. And it's often like you know, like there, it's out of focus in the foreground, and it's kind of it's not like brightly lit. I guess it's in this scene, it's pretty well lit, but you're not seeing a whole lot of it. And Wolford Brimley, of course, was a hunter, so he was very used to doing this. Wow. Uh, Dean Cundy shot this film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And uh, did he shoot the majority of uh, Carpenter's films? His early films. Yeah. He's uh, he's got an impressive resume, from what I recall, and this is just almost scene for scene, shot for shot, just like every choice with either the the lighting or somebody's in shadow for one particular reason or another, or their shadow appears. 
just really interesting choices throughout. Just really confident behind uh, exactly how to create this world and make it seem realistic enough and yet have some playfulness with with uh, like you know the the geography of where we are. We kind of know where we're at at all times. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's Carpenter, and Carpenter would do that on the day. You know, this is the first major Hollywood movie he got to make, mm. and. This is, this feels like the kind of movie that could only be made by someone who is used to working very quickly for little money, suddenly being given uh, a much bigger budget and a lot more prep time. He had he said he had something like a year in between starting pre-production and it being released, which was about double what he was used to. But oh. he would show up on set. Speaking of blue lights. Yeah. He would show up on set... Uh, and sort of just instinctually block people out and know how to shoot scenes. And, you know, in a movie like this where there's seven, eight people in a single scene, that can be extremely complicated. Right. You think you think of John Carpenter as the master because of these great special effects and these scenes of tension, but actually, for a director, probably the hardest thing to do is getting eight people in a room arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. Now, this is... And I've, always shot in scope, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. This is the most maybe the most fucked <laughs> horror sequence of all time. I yeah. don't I if if there's one if there's one complaint you could make about this movie is that it peaks too early. I think that was intended. Yes. To some degree. Um also here's an insane thing to think about. This is this is also the one sequence where Stan Winston helped out. Um because Rob sure. Botton was left left behind um, so I think some of the some of the puppet dogs we're going to be seeing later, and the the thing when it first reveals itself, some of those are Stan Winston. Yeah, that feels very. Oh mar- my god, that American is World so. And then its heads, its skull just like falls out, and you just see a long tongue dragging out. Mm-hmm. And then again, you cut back; and it's totally different uh, creature. The Rob Bottoms, and this is a totally different creature. Yep. Oh man, and just like the idea of the dog just wanting to get out so bad. It's so upsetting yeah. that it happens to the dogs first. And this is also in the short story. The one main sort of confrontation they have with the thing in the short story uh, comes in during the sequence. I hate it when it looks like a spider. It's re- This and this right yeah. here is... Uh, I can't imagine how many people must have walked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's crazy. This is 1982. So you re- you remember three years earlier, people were puking seeing the, the chestburster scene, and well, no, oh. in Alien, the chestburster yeah, 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 scene, yeah, people true. were puking because it was too upsetting an uh, an idea of body horror. Yeah, and then this just that dog's head splitting apart is the most fucked thing I've ever seen in a horror movie. It's so upsetting. Yeah, I used to think the transformation in American Werewolf in London was the most upsetting when I first saw that, and I saw that very young. Good little jump scare there. Just throw yeah. a dog at someone. At least those two escape, though. I think they have to kill all the dogs by the end. And that's someone with the uh, whips, basically. Uh, the ends of the whips are tied down on one end of the frame, and they, they have the mm-hmm. other, and they just are whipping them back and forth real quick. Yes, I think this is all in a set. But, of course, you're seeing, again, more ceilings, so you're feeling how confined they are. That's a really good choice now that, you know, I think about it in terms of 
you ever make a move <laughs> that was a, that by the way i said more ceiling because that's a callback to a commentary track that we did previously oh, for right, tracks yeah. of the damned <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you look up the jacob's ladder commentary track you will understand what i'm referencing there yeah and one of my favorite setups for a plot is just simply a bunch of people banding together and a shot like this is my jam I love it when they're all walking together. Yes, I don't know what it is like. Just the idea of like, come on, let's go get this thing together. Um, and it's just like guys banding together to stop an evil force. In the original short story, they don't need to set it on. They don't need to set it on fire quite the same way they electrocute it. But yeah. obviously, eighty. This is Stan Winston creature right here. This is someone hiding inside of the dog, and that's a, basically that's a, a hand puppet. That's just ridiculous. With some animatronic. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! It's so upsetting. Oh yeah, my and god! Screech and everything too. It's it's great sound. The sounds and then uh, you're gonna see. Oh, that is really upsetting. That fucking like umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. That's all reverse photography. I think this is Stan Winston dog. dog here. That's all reverse photography. Yeah. Same way they did the vines in Evil Dead. Right. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I hate that so much. Yeah, that's a, that's it's funny. That's the most upsetting one because that's a dog that hasn't mutated. It's right, just a exactly, dog just seeing that getting happen. shot. There's something so uh, perverse and evil about the idea. <laughs> and then the eyeball like opening up mm-hmm. uh, in, if not the next shot, the shot after this. But again, because you're never getting full glimpses of what you're even looking at. Um, it's it's just you you the, the what the creature is shaped like in my mind is not the same as yours. That right there is really bad. Bad isn't good. Yes, bad isn't good. And then here we have these are all dog tongues. Yeah, that are opening up. Yeah, it does make me think of Little Shop of Horrors, just for that moment. <laughs> Feed me. That would be that. That is that's that's the worst production of Little Shop of Horrors <laughs> I've ever seen. Is the one where it's this fucking Cronenbergian nightmare where it's just mm. body parts growing out of each other rapidly, like cancers, just tumorous dogs. This is a good shot too of just like all of them in shock. Yeah, just having to grapple with what they've just seen. Yeah, I just like sh- group shots of like a bunch of people. <laughs> You know it's real good. I'll uh, salt on precinct thirteen. Uh, Oxbow incident. Oxbow incident is shot standard. You know, so it's Academy ratio. There are so many group shots where you will see like nine faces in a frame. Yeah, there, I don't know what that. I don't know where that comes from, but that's just something I love. Yeah, that that sort of blocking is really impressive. And this is this is the one especially um, that he didn't want too much light on, so you never do quite see what they are <coughs> looking at. Uh, Rob Botton, that is. Wilford Brimley's absolute refusal to have a reaction is wonderful, and what makes the uh, later scene more grossed out. I think he even goes, yeah, like, oh my god. I guess he is. I guess he is grossed out. It's hard not to be a little bit. Yeah, again, I think it's another reason why I love the first Alien more than aliens is just the claustrophobic element of them being trapped yeah. in one environment, having to, uh, you know, figure out what the what, how to defeat the the monster. And yeah, that, yeah, at that point you don't know if you're looking at skeleton or a musculature or 
or what's going on. That was an interesting freeze frame to fade yeah, to black there. I, never, I guess I never realized that before. Hmm. Man, oh man. Yeah, so this really, this whole sequence is really, really cool because of uh, Wilford Brimley's character having to uh, explain to everybody what this creature could potentially be, and them all sort of standing very still, just staring in shock and awe of what all this is. Yeah, that's a yeah. That just the uh, the makeup effects and design there of the creature is really er eerie. Yeah, and I don't know, just the idea of having to put a dog down, because I mean, obviously, being an animal person, it's it's hard to watch, even though you know it's not real. And clearly, um, Clark here it just has all you know he has an attachment to this dog because maybe he hasn't made a whole lot of friends with everybody else because he seems kind of like a quiet shy kind of guy he doesn't seem like he's the life of the party type to hang out and socialize with everybody to where it's like i can see why people are automatically assuming that clark is already yeah infected because he's kind of still and silent yeah his eyes the, the way yeah. his eyes are that's the first thing i thought when i first saw this sure. movie i said oh shit he's infected yeah no he's just he just I, I, again, he's either in shock or he's just really introverted, but clearly he had a special attachment to this animal. I think Richard Mouser was initially, he was, he, he, he first auditioned for a different role. And th these are the scenes, this is the, this is sort of Carpenter's tribute to A Thing from Another World. Oh yeah, totally. Where a lot of these shots are, are copied from the sort of, uh, especially the, we're going to see the shot in a second where they're all laid out in a circle. It's really cool them to watch the original thing just so they can have an idea of what they're in for. Yeah, they're like, wait a second, this is just like that Howard Hawks movie. Let me go grab the videotape. <laughs> it's funny, the videotapes are actually a factor in uh, uh, in the uh, who goes there, but because it's the 30s, instead of videotapes, um, this shot right here is taken yeah. directly from the thing from I another totally, world. Yeah, I remember that. At a certain point uh, in who goes there, they realize that they're doomed, and so they... They go to all of these uh, film, like these film reels that they've been saving, because huh. like this, you can only watch something so many times, so, and they're not going to get more shipments in. So they go as a sort of like final tribute <laughs> to like Last Gasp of Humanity. They watch uh, like cartoons. I'm assuming like old uh, Disney and whoever whoever that animator was who created Betty Boop, but, like, those kind of cartoons, I'm assuming. Yeah. I guess he's got to put his, on, his sombrero on for whenever he has, he has to go flying. He's superstitious. Very superstitious. I mean, Jim, the writing is on the wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, just be a lucky charm for when you're flying. It should nice. also be said that the thing from another world is also very much distinguished by this, from this, by having a, a very good sense of humor. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that uh, Carpenter learned from Howard Hawks. Oh, yeah, Rio Bravo and and uh, sort of these yeah like the kind of hangout atmosphere. But this film does not have that. <laughs> <laughs> All his films are missing is a stumpy character. Yeah, 
which would make me very happy. Yeah, at, at no point do Guys, they think... what's going on? Yeah. That's a little bit more like Jimmy Stewart or something crazy. More like a cartoon character. At no point, and this is shot on... Uh, uh, this yeah, is a yeah, Matt painting. Matt's painting, yeah. Good old Matt. You can rely on him for anything. It's a very good Matt painting. Yeah. And it's... Apparently, it's extremely hard to do Matt paintings of snow because it's hard to light them correctly. Hmm. Um, because the white, it has to be a certain kind of white or else it gets washed out in the camera. It's no big deal. Take a drink, Patrick. <laughs> Uh-oh. I think he's leaving, folks. I did it. That's fine. That's fine. We can continue. Okay. I you also don't show. really see this whole spaceship. That's, That's uh, true. The power of, despite the fact that this that this film has the greatest practical effects ever and and lavishes like great detail and love to them and shows you things that you never thought you could see in a pre CGI world, like there's still a, a certain element of the power of suggestion at play here that's important. Yeah, it creates this air of mystery throughout that compels you to go along for the ride even further. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my dad showed this movie to me at a very young age as well, because he knew, I mean, we were huge fans of They Live. That might have been the first Carpenter movie I saw. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. We loved it. We, we <laughs> Everything about did you cap Did you get the social commentary when you were that age? Not so much. I almost likened it to a Twilight Zone kind of sure. episode where just you something You just like that happened. there was a twist. Yeah. Not that you did not necessarily understand the political exactly. implications yeah. of the twist. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just based on that, we kind of went back and watched a lot of cards. I don't think I saw Prince of Darkness, though. I think that was one that we just sort of skipped until way, way later. Prince of Darkness took a... I, love, I, 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 just, I always have to focus on those uh, old arcade machines whenever they pop up. And Good lighting <laughs> here, too. Yeah. Really? I'm always a fan of low angle. It's, a, it's pretty amazing that uh, it's pretty amazing that Childs can call this voodoo bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> after what he witnessed, like it's well, there's it's always a, this non-believer skeptic. I don't know, but it's it, it's it's a pretty ridiculous height. Uh, it, Look at the, all the blue. This point, yeah. I think the implication is these are the lights that are outside uh, coming in. Now that I've it's nighttime, been, I've always been a fan of the way this scene ends and. Um, Wilford Brimley's character uh, doesn't say anything, doesn't respond to anybody asking anything because he doesn't know what to say. Yeah. See, at this yeah. point, McCready is not in charge. Where before McCready uh, in the short story. Mm-hmm. McCready is definitely in charge. Now, Prince of Darkness takes something from the short story for this. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, who goes there? I love that. That's, yeah, yeah and that's then the awesome. ambiguity of that uh, fade to black again. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I should leave the Prince of Darkness factoid out because I want to talk to you about the rules of the thing. Oh, boy. The mythology. I mean, they they thought, oh, maybe the audience will have trouble. We should just animate it for like literally just show them exactly what it is. I mean, yeah, I still don't get it. So, okay. 
So a thing doesn't have to like bite. It's not like a zombie. A thing doesn't have to like go grab you and bite you, and then you start turning. No, I don't think so. So why? So then, if that's the case, then why does it tear through your clothes? Um. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, how does you I mean? How does it come into contact to initially? Right. If it's you? literally like this, this diagram here shows a cell assimilating another cell. Right. So it, can it just be a single cell of the thing can infect you, and then you start becoming the thing? Yeah, because I was thinking of the moment where the dog bites that one guy at the beginning, and isn't he the first one to turn? I don't think. I don't recall. Well, you know, they're also okay. Good. So it's a single cell, but it needs con- it needs physical contact. Yes, it can't be like a cell floating in the air. Exactly, there has to be physical contact. And then you don't know you're the thing until you're the thing. Right. There isn't like until a until you know your life is. It's threatened. not. It's not like the zombie. It's not like the oh. So even you can be totally the thing and not know you're the thing until your life is threatened. I think so. So isn't that how they figure it out with the blood test? Whenever it's being but threatened, maybe they're just not. Maybe they do know they're the thing. They're just not saying it. This is a great moment here. Yeah. So, th- I always thought like on the blood test, they're all on the couch. The one who is the thing knows he's the thing, but he's just playing it cool until. I don't know. Okay, so I. That's a good question. That's a good. Okay, so let's pay attention it, to that. If it literally captures your thoughts, you could just be having the same thoughts you would have until. So in this case, you don't you don't become then a sort of saboteur of the other humans, right? You don't know who else is a thing, even if you're a thing. Exactly. Now I think the this guy here, the you know the mm-hmm. red haired guy, he was the one who got bit by the dog, and if I'm okay. not mistaken, he is the first of the group to become the thing. Is he Fuchs? Yeah. Oh no, that's Fuchs. It's really hard to keep track of who's who. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> do you think that do you think that helps the movie or hurts the movie? Um, that that you. Well, I mean, it depends. Like we spend a lot of time with McCree, so we know his name, mm-hmm. Blair, child, and we know he's not a thing. Right. Everyone else, though. Okay, and also. This is the moment where the th- the thing kind of comes back to life and grabs him, grabs the uh, red-haired guy, if I'm not mistaken. Because if one cell in it is alive, then it can... Yeah. Because that, that thing starts moving. <laughs> I'm so confused about the thing. I've seen this movie so about many the times. Rules of the thing. <laughs> I think it's probably a testament to how great it is that it that it works as well as it does without when people yeah. are so confused but that was also the the guy who got bit by the dog and i okay. always thought the reason why the dog bit him was to invade his cells or you know so <laughs> to pass on basically the virus or however you want to call it yeah so it's attacking him after he's already been infected See, that's where I'm confused. Yeah. Like, why would that thing that's just now coming back to life go after him if he's already technically the thing after the dog bit him? Because I, I, there had to have been a reason for the dog to bite that guy. By the way, Blair goes crazy pretty quickly. Yes, he does. Um, even, even in the short story. 
makes sense. He's been repressing so many emotions for a while, and just sort of blows up. And he's the only one who kind of had that access to that information with the computer that, you know, he knows so much of what could happen. I never realized how much blue is in this movie. Yeah, well, that's the that's the lighting they have outside the camp. Mm. Oh boy! See, this is why you got to burn the shit out of it. Whatever you want whatever that blue remains. because you want it to contrast with the red. It's total argento. Mm. Yep, there we go. Oh. This is also an upsetting. Again, you don't get a close up. It doesn't go. It doesn't go from the medium to the close up of the mm-hmm. tentacle around the throat. That way, it gets to play out in your imagination a little bit more. Right. Bennings. Okay, he's the one who turns first. That scene, and that whenever they go out into a helicopter to talk, it always reminds me of two thousand one. Ah, okay, yeah. How would it have mopped up all the blood too by then? <laughs> Asking all the big logical questions. Yeah, Bennings isn't on my list I made here of the character yeah, yeah, names. George Bennings. It's on there. Oh, Bennings, he's the meteorologist. Good thing I didn't become a meteorologist then. Yeah. I'd be the first to go. You'd be the first to go. He might not be the first infected, he's just the first to go. I think he is the first in- to be infected. I mean, initially the movie is setting it up to make you think that. Uh, Richard, so Richard the dog Mazer, infected. So the dog infected no one is what you're saying. The dog did infect him, but with the bite. That was the first thing we saw. The okay, dog so do. but then he got attacked. Right. That's what I don't understand. If the yeah. Dog so I, him, I, if, if the dog, the dog would never have. Then the dog didn't infect him if he got attacked. Then why did the dog bite him? And why did we? Did the I don't know. Why did Carpenter chose to? show that happening and that you know Benning's acknowledging it like oh the dog bit. this is this is one of the best this is one of the best uh, exchanges in the movie I mm-hmm. always think about this exchange oh Donald Moffat's yeah, face just, yeah and then just this is why McCready becomes who he is because McCready's the one who is the most pragmatic. Yeah. Now, if you and I were in this situation, I'd be crying, I'd be all emotional, mm-hmm. and Patrick's like, "Dude, we got to burn him." I would. Yeah. I, I am. I've. I've. I've actually. I'm not a. I'm not a very resourceful person, but in a crisis, I always shut down all my emotions and just go into pragmatic mode. Hmm. I'm pretty good in a crisis. I'm not saying I'd handle I'd farewell here. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe I would ju- I would also cry, but because it's just so over the top. Oh yeah, you'd have to. It's like But of the two of us, I'm McCready. I like to think of you as the that dog who got shot. I don't think I'm that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to rub up against everybody and be all loving and cuddly. Right, right. I like to think of you as a VHS tape of Jeopardy episodes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I would be more... Maybe. Now, look, how many do we have here? We have nine characters here. Right. So we started with ten characters. Oh, and Brimley's not here, is he? Eleven, I think, right? 
We start with eleven because Blair's not here. Um, in the in the short story, it's thirty seven or uh, thirty nine characters. Damn. So you obviously don't get to know all their names. Um, uh, Smart move to dial it down. In, in fact, like within the span of like a couple sentences, you see, uh, basically, once they figure out the blood test, they do it to everyone. And they end up having to kill like seventeen people, hmm. and it's like in the span of a couple sentences they explain. Well, it was it sucked that there were seventeen of them. I honestly think I would be more like Blair, like I would be doing all this research on the computer and realizing how fucked we are. But would you be able to do what was necessary to save humanity? Would you be able to kill me? I don't know. That's a good question. That is a good question. Thank that, you. That would be hard. That would be very hard. I don't want to kill anybody, really. No. <laughs> but I don't know. But if you're not if you don't do what you have to do, then you're killing everybody. That's true. You don't want to kill anybody, but you might be killing everybody. Mm. I I think I I think I could I, I think I could do that. I think I'd have to like sabotage things to make sure Yeah. I I, I would be a lot like Blair. I don't mm. know if I'd have the freak out necessarily. I do wonder why Blair has the freak out. He could have accomplished a lot more without firing his gun around. Yeah. And he should have known that it was going to lead to him being locked away. Mm-hmm. Also, at what point does Blair become a thing? I don't know. We could do a... If we watched this a couple times and sat down and really figured it out, we could do a commentary track where we point out at every point. We could figure out who we know for sure is and isn't. We could have a whole thing scoreboard. Oh, my God. Get out a, a whiteboard and start... Writing it down. I wonder if someone like Jay Cheel can do that now. He's seen it so much, he has internalized that. That's possible. I'm sure there's something on the internets. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've seen this. I've seen this what? I would say at least 13 times. Yeah, for me, it's probably around nine. I'm glad I got to see it on the big screen, even if it was just a digital yeah. presentation. Yeah. This also yeah. feels like classic Carpenter. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> in that this is like total Rio Bravo assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. With poor old... That's, that's Windows, right? Yeah. Poor old Windows stuck in there with a bloody head. That would... Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't go that... I, well, I would have to destroy all the equipment, I guess, but that's that's a tough decision to make. I wouldn't start shooting at people, though. Well, what if you had to in order to finish what you had to do uh, let's just hope this scenario never happens in real life that's all <laughs> I think that's why maybe sometimes video games unnerve me a little too much like I'm oversensitive because you, you feel too much like you're in the space yeah and it's too upsetting yeah I think that's why I couldn't handle like the doom and quake stuff for so long because it just got to me so much yeah that's where I was having nightmares of having a gun point of view speaking of which in the event that this does happen, I will, and we have to like dole out weapons. You are, I'm giving you the nail gun for sure because you know how okay. to work a automatic fire nail gun, which is a real thing, of course. I have done that at work. Yeah, and I have tested them. Sure. Yeah, and also you've played Quake. That's that. Yeah, yeah, that would work. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's his fuck you too moment. Yeah.
I like how mm-hmm. sloppy this this feels. Uh, it's yeah. not like a, a Hollywood staged fight scene. Exactly. Yeah. It's really desperate and sloppy. There's nothing cool about this sequence. Okay. So, Prince of Darkness factoid. Mm-hmm. In, in the original Who Goes There short story, um, the, the monster is psychic. And it, and it probes the people's minds. And that's... Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Yeah, no kidding, man. In the short story, they have to keep one dog around uh, in order for the first blood serum test they think of. Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Basically, they say the dogs who encountered the thing now have thing antibodies. So Hmm. if they test the dog's blood versus the person's blood because they're both thing resistant. That is the that's the idea of this of the blood serum in the of the first blood serum in the short story. But anyway, so the. So the thing is psychic, and it's probing the people's minds, and that's how it knows how to behave like a human being and has their memories and stuff. But part of the way it does that is whenever anything goes to sleep near it, it goes into their minds, and they have nightmares of it because that is the, res- that is the side effect of it okay. going into their heads, and right. that is Prince of Darkness, the broadcast that hit everyone when they're dreaming. Okay. I see the connection. I... I mean, obviously, John Carpenter read Who Goes There, so yeah. I would not be surprised if that's where that comes from. He recycles and integrates other elements from other things. That being Without said... Without making th- it like a rip-off. No, 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 absolutely not. That being said, there is, there is a Prince of Darkness Blu-ray that I have not seen that has a John Carpenter commentary track that I have not heard, so maybe he confirms this, maybe he denies mm. this. Okay. But... Yeah, I'll probably watch Prince of Darkness for next month. It's been a while. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, I know, man. It is half of a it is half of a fantastic movie. <laughs> I would definitely start carrying around a sombrero all the time. I'd like to think of it as this good luck charm. I don't know if it's working, though. So part of the fear in the short story is that not that a rescue team will come and will be attacked by them as Mm. things, but that um, once it gets to spring, there are birds who can reach them, um, who the thing can come into contact to, imitate, and then fly to where human beings are. Oh. Hmm. Okay. So they're constantly talking about, like, the arrival of the birds as being like the moment they have to figure this thing out by. I always assumed watching the, I mean, I don't think they say either way about, I don't, I don't think they ever say anything about like a rescue team, Mm -hmm. but like they say by springtime. And I always assume they mean that's when like their next shipment of goods will come or something like that. But in this movie, it could also be that the thing could imitate a bird. That rope leading to the, uh, like other shack, Reminds me of Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's that's Hateful Eight was absolutely referencing. Hateful Eight itself is uh, based on Quentin Tarantino's fil- feelings about first seeing the thing. He shoots even wider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know why people reacted to that so negatively. Uh, I, I could I could probably name some reasons, but uh. That the image of the blood pouring out of the refrigerator is always a really cool one that isn't actually like a violent moment, but still mm-hmm. really creepy. 
quality blood. Yeah. You know, I mean, I gotta say that because the thing about blood nowadays is very dark. It's dark, and then a lot of the time, a lot of this era, it was too bright. Yeah. It was the other way. It was the candy blood of like Dawn of the Dead or something. Mm-hmm. Very realistic blood in this. Yeah. I wonder what a Cronenberg version of the thing would be like. It would certainly have, like, probably these characters not acting as human. But <laughs> I, I just. It definitely wouldn't be. It would be colder. I, I don't know how you could yeah. do cold in the Antarctic, but, but it would imagine, be. Like, I mean, we, when he did The Fly, that's just the best of all worlds when it comes to, like, just the, 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 the likability sure. of the characters and how human their emotions are. Right. And, it's just like he managed to find that right balance for that for that. Well, they were a real they were a real couple, and he was worried that that would ruin his movie. Yeah, like he didn't want to cast him, but like that. Yeah, definitely shows. I love windows here. Mm-hmm. This this tracking shot here. I don't know. This is this is me actually. I'd be windows. Really, you'd just be going for the gun right away. I'd have to get go for the gun because once I've realized that I'm the only one who knows that I'm not the thing, and maybe mm-hmm. they don't even maybe that's not even true. But once I thought that, yeah. The first thing I do is, well... See, I would think that they would realize that he just did a very human thing. Like a really impulsive action. So he, he's, he, he can't be the thing, right? Yeah. Like he's acting really human. Except that the thing, in knowing how humans act and understanding human I behavior... Guess. Yeah. To, in this situation, only act logical and unemotionally would be a dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. The one person who's like, come on, everybody, we should all band together. <laughs> like, that's like, all right, you're a thing. That's why they all think uh, Richard Mazur Clark is the thing, because he doesn't really act as human as everybody else right. seems to. Which is an interesting choice. I like Gary, this ex-army guy. Yeah. Just sort of... he. Fucking, there, there's something that's, you know, we, we're introduced to characters in one, you know, one little glimpse. You have the, uh, you have Nalls, the cook, like, on his, you know, roller skates, and you have, uh, uh, what's, who's the other pilot? Palmer, like, smoking weed and stuff. The fact that in this fucking Arctic ice station, he wears a gun, is like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. The, he, he, he's on his own little power trip that everyone... He was very inspired by Rio Bravo. Oh, I guess so, yeah. They're all fans. That's a very nice faraway shot from the distance. Again, more blues. Part of the reason this movie is so beautiful is the color. I mean, Dean Cundey is the master of light and shadow in 80s American cinema. He didn't just work with Carpenter, right? He's done a lot. No, I mean, he's since won an Academy Award, I think, for, like, Apollo 13 or something. Oh, yeah? You'll have to look that one up, but I think he... he also shot Back to the Future. I think he shot uh, Apollo 13. It's been so long since I've seen Back to the Future, I actually don't remember if that's a good-looking movie or not. I think it's a good-looking movie. Sure. I don't think anything's wrong with that movie. Well, I know. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Like, you're not exactly an impartial viewer with Back to the Future. Yeah, no, you're right. He shot Apollo 13, which is and Casper in the same year. I didn't realize I didn't realize Apollo 13 was shot the way it shot. He shot the fog. I th- I think probably Apollo 13 is the craziest job a cinematographer's ever had. 
Which it, well, not ever, but like you know how they made that movie, right? Uh, remind or, me. A lot of that movie is in those in those big planes that go around the Earth and they create a zero G situation. Oh, they built sets and they so like the scenes where people are floating around, they're actually floating around in zero gravity above the Earth, and they would have to shoot like two minutes at a time. Jeez. It's not every shot. You know, there's a lot of shots where characters are strapped in and, like, That's sitting a... down. But, like, those shots where, like, they're floating around and going through all the tunnels and stuff, that was... A lot of those were actually done in zero gravity. That's ridiculously <laughs> impressive. Though. Yeah. It's, like, should, it's be... like one of those things, like, once you, like, you watch The Abyss and you're like, okay, it's The Abyss. And then you realize it's, like, 1989, there's no CGI. And you're like, mm-hmm. how the fuck they get all that underwater? Like, what is all there, this? There was, there had to have been CGI for the little... Well, yeah, but you, but it's, it's an era where you know where CGI starts and practical effects end. Yeah. Like, The Abyss, as far as, like, miniatures and as far as sets and all, like... The logistics of the special effects of the abyss are mind exploding. This is the greatest. Mm-hmm. This open doorway, the anticipatory setup, as a film teacher might say. Oh, very good. I'll pick up that Apollo thirteen Blu-ray sometime. That'd be nice to revisit that. Oh man, and, uh, have you seen the cover for the Apollo thirteen Blu-ray? No. Everyone out, everyone out there, give yourself a little treat. Treat yourself today. <laughs> Google image search the Apollo 13 Blu-ray. It looks like a child drew it. Oh god. It is hysterical. I'll show you after this. We'll we'll have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll look at the Apollo 13 Blu-ray art. We'll have some drinks, you know, of course. recreation. Now it feels like the blue lighting has from the outside is now in every yeah. I feel like the worse things get, the more the lighting gets blue. I've, I've, I've noticed that. It's and that's not... Like, uh, and it isn't blue in the way that... Uh, this especially, you expect something to crawl past. Yeah. Like the spider thing. Yeah. Because I feel like we have that shot later. Yeah, it's almost like uh, an invasive force, that blue light. It just shows up <laughs> everywhere, even on his face. Yeah, and again, all these fade to... And this that. is a split diopter yeah, shot exactly. here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love those. Brian De Palma That's style. Why I like De Palma so much. Because you like those split diopters. I like split diopters, split screens, split personalities. At this point, Fuchs uh, does not trust McCready. That that little like moment where he gets startled, and there was a fade to mm-hmm. black, so you don't know necessarily if McCready is a thing or not yet as an audience member. Yeah, he's acting a little stoic there. Like, having them both in focus means you kind of are, like, looking at them both as the leads and watching them suspect each other. See, if I, you know, if I was in this situation to remind everybody that I was still me, I would just be telling horrible jokes the whole time. We, we would kill you and then say, well, he was probably a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that, we, we would see it as our excuse to finally uh, get rid of you. I see. Yeah. In this situation... In this ice station, love that fucking little carpenter stinger there. Classic Halloween ass mm-hmm. stinger. It he it's the one time he allows himself to go that that uh, sort of cheesy with a scare. And th- yeah, the blue and the red together. He has to. This has to be Argento inspired. Cundi and Carpenter yeah. had have to have been. Insp- I I mean, I, the Argent Dario Argento was not the person who invented putting red and blue lights together, <laughs> but. 
Like, it's funny that in a movie that is as down-to-earth as this... Um, I feel like somebody put that there to set him up. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know that that's the case. Okay. He's do- he does the blood test on himself later, and he's I'm not the thing. I'm just letting people know in case they didn't think that themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if this is the first way you watch the thing, uh, I got bad news for you. Yeah, I don't know why people like that movie so much. It has two assholes yelling over it. That could be the case for pretty much any movie that has a commentary with it. (laughs) Man, nobody says bullshit like Kurt Russell. No? No. I feel like he does that a lot in Hard hard 8. No, uh, Hateful 8. There weren't a, a spate of, like, thing rip-offs in the... I mean, I guess, why would you rip off a movie that bombed, but... A lot of people ripped off Alien. That's not a movie that bombed. Oh, well, <laughs> That yeah. was a super, super successful movie. That's true. That That's why I was asking, like, you know, a lot of people ripped off Halloween, a lot of people ripped off a bunch of Carpenter movies that were successful. Mm-hmm. I don't think the thing references and the thing uh, sort of... Uh, was Friday the 13th a Oh, God. Great. Hmm. Great that they wait. Uh, they wait for the reverse shot to see the <laughs> the noose. Yeah. Why does that's does, a smart move? Is Blair a thing yet? See, that's where I'm confused. When does he become the thing? Okay, let's let's just keep an eye on Fuchs. Okay. He says it ain't Fuchs, and we don't know why he knows that it ain't Fuchs. Do we well, ever even, find even out? Early on, he was just like, watch Clark. But I know, we all know that's... Maybe Clark. he's just trying to disseminate panic, and he is... That's true. Maybe he's been the thing the whole time. Well, no, if he was the thing the whole time, he wouldn't destroy the equipment. Actually, if he's the Maybe thing the whole time... to fuck with them. <laughs> right. Also, if he's the thing the whole time, and he wants to... Wait. Okay. A, that would establish them thinking he's human, but it doesn't matter because they think he's insane, they lock him up, and he can't do anything anyway. So that doesn't seem like there seem like other ways to be to look to act human that are, don't cast suspicion on you. But maybe the thing's intention is to eventually become frozen again. Yeah. So at a certain point, that is definitely true. Like that, it's a good move, maybe. So Fuchs is dead now. And also, Fuchs is the one who saw the McCready. So why was he saying watch Fuchs? I don't know, man. This movie's garbage. Zero stars. Shut your mouth. It's just the logical part of your brain has to be on. Which makes sense. Well, I mean, if this movie is trying to engage the logical part of your brain by making you try to figure out what's going on. It doesn't say, look, there's no explanation. Just sit back and buckle the fuck up because this is a Lucio Fulci movie and nothing mm. makes sense. This is, this is, um, this is, uh, you know, almost more of the Agatha Christie uh, sort of approach. I understand. I was, I was one of the first people that watched out of that damn movie Signs and was like, why would aliens come to this planet if their weakness is water? <laughs> and I was like, who cares? Who cares? I was like, but that's kind of a big... 
deal breaker. For the record, their weakness isn't water. Their weakness is germs that were built up in still water over the period yeah, of weeks. That's the world's. That's also signs. That's why the, the water like being left around the house is what kills them. It's not water. It's the germs that were in the water. Uh, really? Yes, because okay. th- there's a plot point where the daughter is leaving glasses of water everywhere around the house. And they have been left there for a week. And they build up a certain uh, sort of germ strain. <sighs> that that is. I don't want to justify the existence. It's a of it's a ripoff of War of the Worlds. Okay, well, Shyamalan's not the most original guy. In by the, the by the way, um, the reason that no one, the reason he didn't know that he was dead in the Sixth Sense. What? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna defend every Shyamalan movie now. Um, Avatar The Last Airbender is actually a brilliant uh, work of art because it has uh, people shooting magic things. <laughs> See, I don't... Man, yeah, like they're all trying to... At this point, indicate. you don't know. McCready could, like, maybe you think this is the game John Carpenter's playing. He's trying to get you to sympathize with someone who actually is a thing. I guess. Like, as a first-time viewer, I definitely thought McCready could be it at this point. It's not like we've only been it. It's not subjective from McCready's viewpoint. We've been with other characters. Mm, then McCready wouldn't kill all the rest of them like he does. Kill the rest of who? Well, I mean, doesn't he... At some point, he's, he must... I, I just assume that he kills people soon. No, I'm saying... Like he's, As he's a first-time viewer, when you don't know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think that he might be the thing. Right. Especially since it hasn't cut back to him outside being like, No! Like, you have... Mm-hmm. It, Carpenter is deliberately not making you empathize with him at this point. Because he's True. trying to build up uh, doubt in your mind. Right. I mean, they're all acting human at this point. Yes, but the thing acts human, Jim. I know you think that you can tell, like, you can look someone in the eye and give them a a Voight-Kampf test and tell if they're a thing or not, but the thing knows how to act human. That's why it's successful. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. The only real way to find out is through that blood test. That's right. I'm just trying to be Mr. Psychologist, man. Right. You can't. You can't, Mr. Psychologist, man. The thing. The thing knows what you're looking for, Mm -hmm. and it will because it's psychic. We've already Uh, established. I love the. I love the frozen beard uh, Mm -hmm. makeup here. I don't know if that's ice on his beard. He has a coke problem. You think? (laughs) Candle wax. Milk duds. Did you see that? I saw a box that said milk duds. Of course. No. You need those to survive. Are you going to are you going to go 6 months without fucking candy? <laughs> it's just an odd choice. I don't know. Have boxes a supply of In milk the duds. Room 237 documentary about the thing, the milk duds are extremely important. I'm sure. That's a that's fucking good. And at this point, yeah, like and so like red and blue. First lights, time like so crazy. the first time you watch this movie, at this point it's anyone's game. Yeah. More or less. It's hard to just time travel back to somebody who's watching this for the first time, though. You know? Like, just put myself in that mindset of... I I remember it vividly. 
because it was a it was a really seminal moment, and I was you know I, it wasn't that I was like twelve, I, I was seventeen. Yeah. You know, so it was only about ten years ago, a little over ten years ago for me. I probably watched this in a slew of other films. Yeah, other horror films at the time. You rented this first, or oh, did you sure, see it on yeah. HBO? I'm pretty sure it was. Did a you? Rental. Were you a family? You taped movies off of HBO. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Did you ever tape this off HBO? I don't think so. Okay, That's... so you rented this. Did you go back and re-rent this a bunch? This is such mm-hmm. a great gag. Yeah. This is. This was the biggest scream Regina had. Regina didn't really know anything about the thing. Oh wow. Uh, the first time they saw it this year, and this uh, chestburster scene is the is the biggest scream in the whole movie. It's pretty amazing. It's very convincing. And I think it's doing the same thing it does later with the uh, fake hand where some of the CPR is being done on the on the dummy version. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. What's incredible is the way the chest splits Look open. At this. Look at this shot. That's incredible. Yeah, it's good. With the scalp. What's incredible about the way the chest splits open is it looks like CGI. Like, really look carefully. It's hard to imagine what the mechanism actually is that allows for the chest to split open like this way. Doesn't that look like CGI moment there? Yeah. It isn't. That's just like perfect texture, perfect thickness. It splits apart the way it should look. That is just so fucked. Again, That's every classic. every time it cuts back, it's a whole new gag. It's a mm-hmm. whole new uh, creature. And that's a new creature, and this is like uh, yeah. bubblegum, I want to say. Rubbery bubblegum. Something along the lines. Its main instinct is, is this to is, This is a gag that I think uh, Romero would rip off just a little bit. This dip right here. Brrr, that's yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. This is a, I, think that, I think Romero stole that gag for a Day of the Dead when the guy's head is uh, being uh, pulled off. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem like Tom Savini would do something then like that. Then this, of course, is reverse... When the guy's head's being pulled off and his vocal cords being stretched out and his voice is getting higher pitched in mm-hmm. uh, Day of the Dead, that's totally taken from this. And of course, the first time he... <laughs> now these are, you know, there's there's all sorts of gases and stuff um, with the with these chemicals and these materials. See, I'm not a fan of spiders. You don't you don't like this right here? <laughs> this isn't your buddy? Hi, Jim! <laughs> <laughs> I no, live in too, your it's, bed! It's too ridiculous and, you know... I live in your bed where your toes are! I just got really upset on somebody on Facebook posted, These crazy spiders are going to be invading Illinois. <laughs> so make sure you're sealed off all your doors and windows. Never leave like the home the, again. I don't know how they don't how they miss this head. The, the size. Of the I don't know how it sneaks by. It's almost yeah. comical right there. But you're right. That is the same uh, composition that earlier that's we saw. First, that's the first thing I said when I saw. Like this was one of the first experiences I remember of saying, "You got to be kidding!" And then the character says it right after. Yeah, me. that's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the sounds that thing makes. Either. But at oh. any rate, so the materials that made up those appliances and the gas that shoots out all the goo and has the stuff spraying everywhere, mm-hmm. it built up in the small room the first time they did it. So Carpenter, the scene where the head's falling down, 
Carpenter was like, wait a second, everything's on fire at this point because he's already torched it. So shouldn't there be like some fire while we watch this head slide down? So they set up a fire bar, which is the thing they put in front of a camera to show like flames in the foreground that okay. are actually far okay. away from whatever it's shooting. And the second they hit, they sort of started the fire bar, the entire room exploded. No one was injured. No one got, like, killed or hurt. Even the two people who were hiding inside the body, like, working stuff. Mm-hmm. But they had, to, they had to basically waste the whole day setting that seat up again <laughs> because they exploded the room because Rob Botton didn't realize how much gas was building up in it. Oh, damn it. The dog lover's dead. Right in the forehead. And that... I mean, I gotta tell you, folks... That scene where he's holding the scalpel, that's why you shoot in scope. That's why you want that whole frame there. That is just, like, brilliantly done. Just right before he runs, you see, the, again, him holding the scalpel to his side, and then you see everybody like that. That's just, ugh. That's a beautiful, beautiful shot. Now, if I was a film professor, this would be one of the scenes or sequences I would show in my class. What what class is that, Jim? I don't know. Film history. Film, uh, great film, <laughs> part one. Okay, volume cool. one. Guess what? <laughs> we've uh, we've reviewed your we've reviewed your course schedule, and uh, you're no longer working at this university. Welcome to my class. Great film. It's great. It's good. Good stuff. Look yep. at this. Look at that shot. <laughs> Look at that shot there. Suddenly, you're from New England. Yeah. I think, I, unfortunately, if I were a professor, it would be mostly Chris Farley-like behavior of, look at that amazing scene. It's pretty cool, huh? I love it. You gotta love this. I think this is split die after two. It's certainly Or just seems... deep focus. I don't like this one bit. Not a fan of getting cut, huh? No. What's wrong with you? Everybody loves it. Oh, I like it. That's unfortunate. Oh, this whole sequence is one of my all-time favorite things ever. It's like, too, I mean, even though I know who's going to be jumping up pretty soon, it's still great. I actually, I actually, the nice thing about not remembering which character is which, oh, God. No. No, too much. Oh, wow, too that much. lasts a long time, oh, too. Oh, I scared out. <laughs> it's just ketchup. Part of, uh, it's definitely not ketchup. We just were complimenting how great the blood is. How ketchup. dare you insult them by saying it's ketchup. Mm. Um one of the great things about not remembering which character is which is I never remember who the next to go is. Wow. I mean, obviously, once the operating scene happens and he's giving him CPR, I know what's going to happen next. Yeah. But I never actually remember who is, who's the thing right now. That's good. I am envious of that memory, temporary memory loss. You're, you're envious of the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind? Yeah. Yeah. But you do manage to retain quite a bit of facts... Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I'm bad with names and uh, faces mm. in general in life, and this is one. I like it for a split second there, you think, oh, he must be it because he's cringing. Yeah. Well, you know it's not Donald Moffat. 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 Oh, because of the line, and I know yeah. it's not Childs. Mm-hmm. I, guess I, I guess I do have enough, or, yeah, I, I guess I do have enough information but I don't know what happens David's to... David's uh, face is so good in this sequence, too. Just like his <laughs> evil eyes. 
oh, he gets killed. That's what happens. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not Nulls. But Nulls gets killed by the thing when it turns. Does it? I don't know. I'm asking. Because <laughs> I don't remember how Nulls dies, so that must be how he dies. See, this is the ah, fake hand. Yeah. He sets it up ahead of time. That's a. That's a. That's sim- it's like a trick Savini says. Um, mm. You got it. When you have a fake prop, you need to set it up as real. You need to do something where it's like, oh, I see. This is a real thing that's actually going to hurt them, and then you swap it out. Right. I guess it's actually opposite than the uh, Savini. You were the only one that could have got to that blood. Okay. Ah, oh, God. And this is a, still, that's this cool. is a great sequence, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just like a floor being tilted, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, this was this was to me the the ultimate mm. gross out sequence. The first time I saw it, the guy's head splitting in half, sure. and just the blood pouring out everywhere. Even though it's actually, I think, less gruesome than the dog scene. I think it's more. It's also very effective. Also, that- what the fuck did he just do there? What? I guess what thing could it turn into where... The thing can do that, I thought, because it did that early on. Yeah, that's true. That right there is... I God damn it. And then the blood <laughs> pouring out of him and into the, its mouth and like... Yeah, this whole thing just unbelievable. I think I even had to turn away when I first saw this. Yeah, this is, this is like, huh, I wonder why this was a failure. <laughs> I wonder why this movie didn't make it in 1982. It's like... Almost, it's 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 turned into Peter Jackson's Dead Alive right here. Yeah, yeah, this is very Dead Alive style puppetry. And we got oh, a man. great fire burn here. Yeah. Not as good as the one from Thing from Another World, but still very good. That's, That's a true. really That's intense true. burn. But it does the same thing in from the Thing from Another World. Mm-hmm. I know they have, like, stunt guys who get in the fire suits or whatever, but, mm-hmm. man. It depends. It depends on what's being burned. Sometimes, you know, you have full, full helmets, and sometimes it's just like, well, it's just your back. So, basically, we're just going to shoot this in slow... You know, we're going to shoot this at high speed. Yeah. So, this is already... So, he's already turning to a thing because he was bit. Right. That's what... So, he wasn't a thing as well. No. He they, is, they did the blood test and he turned out okay. And then right. now he's turning into a thing. That quickly. Yeah. So again, if it can happen that quickly, I don't know why the dog bite wouldn't immediately turn. Yeah, I guess so. Fuchs, I guess, into a... No, it... It was the first... It was uh, the, the Bennings. Yeah, Bennings. Oh, I guess he does survive. Okay. See, I don't remember these things. I and I saw this like just like two or three months ago. Yeah, as I've gotten older, I've realized that there are a lot of they're becoming more and more movies that even though I've seen them twenty years ago, watching them again or rewatching almost feels like a first time watch. Oh yeah. Where I'm just like, oh my god, I don't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, in the uh, classic, 
line. Yeah, in the screenplay, uh, it's where it sets up the characters. What it said about um, Childs is, can be jolly, but don't get on his bad side. <laughs> I can't imagine Keith David is jolly. I think he has a little bit of that in him. Okay. He's got a little bit. You know, you can see him, like, cracking a smile. Mm. <laughs> I've always wanted somebody to, t- to tie me to a couch just so I could deliver that line. But they would have to do it in the winter. But then also, like, they're only doing it so you can say the line. There's not other reasons. <laughs> like, if you want someone to tie you up, you know, that's your thing. But guess what? Like, mm. don't pick a couch. <laughs> like couches are the fucking hardest thing to tie someone Come to. Come on, there's gotta be fantasy role plays of the thing on Fet Life. There's gotta be people that are into that. They're into the thing. Yeah, that's possible. I'm just saying, if you, that's that's a lot of extra work to do it on a couch instead that's of a chair. True. That's true. Ah, uh, you can do anything on a couch. That sounds- Hello, hateful eight. Just Sorry. walking in the freezing cold with the. Well, they, they don't have a uh, flare back that's then. True. That's true. Doesn't hang himself, so maybe he was going to be a thing, but in between making the noose and escaping, he got turned into a thing. But we'd never really see how that could well, happen. Well, anything, he was, he's been isolated this whole time. At any moment, someone could have, uh, the monster could have come in. I thought you were going to say, anything can happen. All right, the movie's called The Thing, and the word thing is a common pronoun, so yes, we're going to say thing a lot, Jim. (laughs) Don't look proud of yourself, you brat bastard. Oh, man. I hate it when people have to crawl into tight spaces. Yeah, I wasn't doing, I didn't do too good during um, Premature Burial. No, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you have time to set all this up down there? That's that's a question. I, this always feels a little far-fetched for me. Uh, he's been building his own spaceship, or... That, oh, okay, well, there's tools there. That in the... It hasn't even been days, right? He's been no. locked up for, like, 12 hours. Or, yeah, maybe <laughs> 8 to 12 hours. Right, like, that this has been built. Very resourceful alien. I suppose so. It got turned into a thing that was just an Allen wrench. <laughs> How that quickly... Here I am making fun of my one of my top five favorite horror movies. But isn't that why you guys listen to these damn commentaries? For us to just make a light and have a good time. Keep going. I think you're going to about to have a philosophical breakthrough. <laughs> In the end, isn't that what we're all here for? We're just trying to have a good time. We're trying to take something we love and turn it into something that's fun. <laughs> I don't know. I think Patrick is the thing. I... If I was the thing, we're alone here. That's true. I gotta get you some whiskey. That's right. Please? <laughs> this does make me dread Chicago winters, though. Oh, boy. 
It's still crazy, though, that not to be boring and talk about the weather, but the fact that it's still like 80-some degrees in late September. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's our new future. Yeah. <laughs> until the heat death of the human race, that is our new future. You're right about that, sir. There, there you go, Jim. Oh, yeah. There's your blue light you crave. You don't want to get me started what used to happen to me at Kmart. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting choice. It's like he's half blue and half red. Ambiguity, some kind of, you know, like, is he uh, the thing? Uh, Ooh, we just saw he isn't. We just saw he isn't, Jim. Okay. We just saw he isn't. Okay. Amen, at this point, brother. At this point, the at this point, the uh, the doctor, formerly known as Blair, is the only thing I think. Where is Childs right now? Childs, you know, Childs. He likes to have a good time. He's just out and about right now. Yeah, that's why I think he's the thing. He just likes to have a good time. telling you he's the thing we were talking maybe they said where childs went that's true we're left in the dark once again what a yeah this this whole thing here man yeah i really like the uh just the build up to the end here where we're getting shit done Busting it up with the axe, blowing things up. Just realizing that the only way to defeat this thing is just to destroy everything around them. With fire. No problems there. I mean, the one thing that, you know, occurred to me, too, is that do they realize that they're just essentially going to have to... Because, you know, the helicopter doesn't work, are they just... Are they just going to decide to freeze to death and essentially just give in to the fact that they're going to they're have to die out there alone? Because there's certainly not a rescue team coming to get them after all these explosions and setting things on fire and whatnot. So are they just resigning to die, essentially? Because, yes. Okay. Because they know they're going to have to sit out in the freezing cold. and Yeah. I think they're. I think this is. I think this is them pouring the whiskey in the computer. Okay. Um, which is which happens actually about halfway through. Who goes there? They pretty quickly decide that Blair was right, um, and they are just sort of, ha ha. I guess we have to kill these things. Like, and they just sort of try to figure out ways to stop it the best they can, while knowing that they can't hmm. survive it. Right. Which is why they, like, go to their cartoons as a sort of last gasp of hope. And the blood test scene, like I said, is the sa- is pretty much the same here, except there's a, a whole, like, room full of 30 people, and about mm-hmm. half of them turn out to be things. And then one person is uh, a murderer, <laughs> who uh, because he was convinced that another person was a thing. Whenever I see, like, a lot, like, just com- a completely frozen set, you know, with icicles hanging... Yeah. I, I I think of Poltergeist three of all things, 
because they're that movie is just chock full of people being frozen or like pools freezing because the idea that you know the the ghosts or the poltergeist in there can survive in the freezing cold so there'd be like just parts of the what John, John Hancock Center ghosts can't survive in the cold yeah because they're dead and they're they're cold I don't know that you've the- heard that thing of like Oh, I felt cold, I felt a cold breeze come by. That means a ghost passed by. So, that, so because they're cold, they can't take the cold. They can survive. Oh, they can, but yeah. can't they survive in the not cold? Haven't hasn't an entire movie called Poltergeist established that it doesn't need to be super cold? I guess, but in Poltergeist three, a lot of things are cold. Um, people come back from the other side completely frozen. I this isn't that- cold, by the way. This is all art design. Yeah, <laughs> but don't they? When they come back from the other side, and even in the original Poltergeist, don't they come back with a bunch of goop on them? Yeah. Not ice. Uh, okay. Goop. Okay. Now, Poltergeist 3 sort of pisses on the mythology of the other ones. You know what? It's probably why people don't like Poltergeist 3, because of the rich mythology of the other ones that gets pissed that's on. The, that'd be the easy, that's like number one on, the movie, on a list of movies where I don't like it, and I know it's a bad movie, but I've seen it a lot. Poltergeist I, 3? Yeah. I, I wonder what that why. is for me. I don't know why. It's just... It's probably one of the Rob Zombie Halloween movies I've seen a lot. Oh, no. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, I'm sorry about Poltergeist 3. Yeah. Just a weird, morbid fascination with it. Ah! See, Blair is the only thing. Clearly. Shunting. He's shunting him right now. <laughs> That's not a good way to go. That's really unpleasant. It's not as... It, it feels a little more like... 80s horror gag. Yeah. Like this, it feels like a, a screaming Mad George sort of a, a gag. Hmm. But, uh, it's, it's all right for, for like a split second. Damn shame. Although, wouldn't he just essentially turn into the thing? So, here's my question If Childs is the thing right now, where is he? Good question. Why isn't he helping? Why isn't he attacking? Why isn't he helping Blair so they could escape? Yeah. If he knows what their plan is... I'm thinking Childs is essentially the one who's going to freeze to death. He sort of... That's the the thing that's like saying... But they both want to freeze to death. Because that's... Not not freeze to death. Not freeze to death, but go into stasis. Hmm. But Blair... Blair thing built that spaceship and then it exploded and now they can't fly it because it exploded well I know but initially why would he build that spaceship because he wanted to escape but now that it's exploded why isn't Childs and Blair both Childs would stay behind to freeze yeah but now they should both be working in tandem I don't know if each they know that each other is the thing they're in completely separate environments right now but they don't but they're not connected because they're both things I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I know we think they have psychic abilities, but I don't think Child's thing is aware of what Blair thing is up to right now because they're in completely different spaces. This is good. Good gag right here. Very Tremors-esque. This is (laughs) several years before Tremors, but yes. True. One bit of stop motion. There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. That's it. There was more. There was like a big stop motion creature, but... Oh, yeah, that was... Uh, oh, yeah, totally. See there? 
That's that is some goofy stop motion. I I spoke too soon when I said the spaceship was the last bad effect. It does remind me of uh, I don't think Evil Dead, but some Harryhausen stuff. Sure. Definitely that horrible gate. To Finally, that dog returns. Oh, with his legs all fucked up. That's the yeah. that's the worst part of this dog puppet part right here. <laughs> Not the greatest and final line for our hero, but hey, I'll take it. I certainly don't mind it. I, it feels like a Shane Black kind of an anti-joke. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did anyone survive that? What do you mean? He does. McCready does. That's what I'm saying. How? Look at how big this explosion is. That's not just dynamite. That's He jumped out, man. He jumped out, but look <laughs> how the fire is exploding. Oh, yeah, there he is. There he is jumping out right there. That's not debris. That was him jumping out. Oh, okay. I see. They're on the right. Oh, that's more of him jumping. Look at all the jumps. <laughs> He's dead right now. He exploded. So actually, both Childs and McCready are the thing. thing. Okay. Because a normal human being would be... See... See how he's intact and not exploded? He escaped the explosion. But he jumped. How far can you jump? Three feet? I don't know. He He burned up, man. He made it. He burned up. Here's the real sadness. What if it's two things and neither knows that they're the thing? Because I think a lot of of people assume that McCready, when McCready says, I know you're not all the thing because you jumped me, I think people assume that he's correct. But maybe... Because the things don't know each other. I don't know, man. That's I, you're good. the one who said that the things don't necessarily know if there's another thing or not. That seems logical. I mean, it is possible that they're both the thing. But I just think that it's th- what he decides to do in the very last moment with the whiskey is tying back to what happened at the very beginning. So you think, you think it's a screenwriter's it's not it's not McCready tying it back himself, it's the screenwriter saying yes. this is the thing. Yes. Now the, it's the computer is imitating a human and now the thing is imitating a human. I don't think the computer is imitating a human, I think the computer's just playing. I mean chess. to be honest, you know what? Keith David himself, I think on the projection booth said No, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody really knows. Right, and neither and neither of these characters. I don't know. Maybe if he's, there, if he's a, why doesn't he kill McCready if he's a thing, right now? Because he knows he has to freeze. He can freeze afterwards. I guess. I mean, that does make logical sense. I suppose. There's something in my brain though that wants to make it like, I don't know. It's because concrete. You got you got excited because you noticed the whiskey thing. But I don't think that proves anything. I don't think that's strong enough. I guess. But also, he disappeared for such a long stretch. Yeah, he got lost. The lights were out. That, that's the whole reason they have guide lights in the first mm. place. Look at that. Look. Like, he knows. McCready knows, and he's about to drink the whiskey. And then he doesn't explode like the computer does. So. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't start short-circuiting. He's not a robot. I know. I I like... But he smiled and was like, yeah, I know. know." Let me tell you this. We're both going to die here. Let me tell you this. 
I think the most emotionally satisfying way for this to end is for them both to be human and for them both to, in dealing with an outside threat, have doomed themselves. I think that is the most emotionally satisfying way to look at it. I don't see what you would gain emotionally or thematically by Childs being the thing. The thing, too. I th- I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that I, w- I want John Carpenter to do the thing, too. But he I- sure as fuck can't now! <laughs> I know. He's an old fucking man, Jim. I know. Maybe I just love this universe so much that I want it to con- continue and go on, like in some sort of weird, twisted fan fiction. Mm, like, like, uh, like a, like a, will you say a video game, maybe? Ah, uh, I guess. Where people s- find the rubble of what's happened, and then they, they encounter wanna... new challenges, and they shoot things. Are they, so is Childs not even in the video game? No, they're all dead, because this takes place years after. Right, okay. I don't know, man. Actually, I, I didn't finish the video game. Maybe it would not like, surprise me. If I were making a Thing video game, I would make Charles pop up later, and then he's the Thing. That, I'll, I'll give you that much. If in a sure. world where I'm making the video game, Charles is the Thing, I think I they're both t- human. Continuing the storyline, for some reason, that... I don't know. Maybe it's just, just exciting to me to think of this cycle continuing. I mean, I wouldn't want this to happen in reality, obviously, but I'm just saying, like, in this movie universe created here by Carpenter that's so fully realized. Maybe part of me is like... Is it fully realized? I think so. It's like one concept. Yeah. It's not like a rich mythology. It's not a... It's not like world... Beautifully realized concept. It's a beautifully, uh, but with all the these memorable characters. It's it's a beautifully realized story that has a beginning, middle, and end. Yes. It's not. I don't. I don't. I these characters are all dead. You can't continue with these characters because they're all dead. So Logically all you're continuing speaking, yes. is what you want is the thing starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That's so terrible. I had to turn off twenty minutes. That's in. a prequel, though. That's not continuing the story of. Child oh, that's the problem. The- that's the problem with that movie is because it's not continuing the story. Yeah. Why don't you write this? Why don't you write it? You have because time. People would be pissed. <laughs> Who would be pissed? No one would I care. I people love the idea of either your emotionally satisfying ending or the ambiguity of we don't know. No one would thing. be pissed because no one would care. Why don't you, for yourself, then, write <laughs> for myself? Write write a fan fiction that picks up I, where this left off. I don't know. I think that would just be silly. What's wrong with that? I think it would be silly. Uh, now, now you're feeling silly about your feelings. Now, before you were. Defending them, but now you think it's silly. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying my theory is etched in stone and it should be taken as scripture. Uh-huh. You know? I just kind of like the idea of that as a possibility. Sure, I know. I, part of the reason, part of the thing about it being ambiguous is that is a possibility. It's also it's a possibility a that they're possibility. both things. Yes, it's a possibility that they're both not things. Yeah, there's a possibility that they're both things. Right. It's a possibility that one or the other. Are McCready things. is a thing. I don't want to believe that, <laughs> but I guess it's possible. I think I think Mac- I think McCready was the thing the whole time. Oh, stop! Before the dog arrived at the camp, I think that's the <laughs> only that, thing that explains why you would dump good liquor onto a computer. I guess I still don't think that's a l- rational thing to do. <laughs> like if I'm playing fucking chess with my laptop, with my I- swing gang, <laughs> I'm not gonna be. Pouring whiskey on it if I lose. Man, I dated a girl named Dolly Grip. Let me tell you something about HJs. Wow. Assistant to John Carpenter, Ellen. Ellen Benjamin. 
Are they? Did we see Stan Winston get referenced yet? I don't know, man. I'm still thinking about Childs. <laughs> about Childs? You think Childs is the, is a thing, man? Yeah. I don't know. Nobody's ever, like, certainly not the screenwriter or any of the cast or crew have come out and validated that possibility. Special thanks to Stan Winston. Yeah. Word, Word to wigs. Stan Winston. Special, special wigs. Word to special wigs. Josephine Turner and her special wigs. Manager, <laughs> supervisor, Susan K. Turner. Got some opticals so up in here. So now people are going to have to listen to the Carpenter-Russell commentary and decide which they like better. Rapol and Laskowski or Carpenter and Russell. You don't want them to you don't want them to do that. <laughs> There's an answer to that one. Of course. There's basically an object like one is maybe the greatest director actor commentary ever and the other is us being doofuses. That's true. Yeah, Dolly Grip, once again. Dave? Dolly Grip, edit again. My friend Dave is a real mm. Dolly Grip if you get my get drift. Oh, so it was in uh it was British in Canada. Columbia. In Juneau, Alaska. Oof, those those animals. Poor animals. You know they're all dead now. I'm telling you, all these song titles have to do with the movie's themes. Well, in that case, stop trying to explain the ending, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. The original soundtrack album is not available on MCA Records, where it just has those two songs and the score. I want to see original fucking tape of the thing soundtrack whenever they say on records and tapes mm. i want to s- prove it let me see that tape go on ebay i do i I'm should sure, go on I'm ebay sure, i'm sure there is uh it's a strong possibility oh i should we got a ton of laser discs in not too long ago and i was like do i want to get this laser disc player and all these laser discs nah. N- not for yourself but for from for moolah i looked on ebay and there wasn't a big demand there's not a laser disc no not, not, a, not really. a laser disc community that not really, no. Because like, I'm selling fucking like VHS. Vinyl. I'm selling like VHS tapes of like Return to Living Dead for like 15 bucks. Wow. No, anytime we get a, like a weird VHS tape, I'm starting to collect those. An MCA company. I love that classic Universal logo. With the sort of yeah translucent uh, star circles over it. Good stuff. Good that was film. the thing. That was the thing. Here's Everybody. the thing. No, it's over. Go ahead. Go ahead, do yeah, your I'm joke. Done. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, we can start again. It just start. It just it just auto replayed. We could start again if you want. <laughs> we could do, take two, they, you know, take two of this commentary. More. Now we're gonna sort of map out who is the thing and when, yeah, and how and where their social security Hold numbers. On. We're gonna figure it all out. Let me make a note right here. Next time I watch this, map out an outline of who is the thing. Uh, oh, there we go. This is okay. Here we and go. What happens to Childs? Oh, he just disappears. Sure, how convenient. He just quote unquote disappears. Uh-huh. I'm writing something out. I'm going to hand it to you. It's a secret coded message. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. What do you think? It's very possible. That would certainly be an interesting twist. Yes. Now don't you, don't don't now, tell the listeners what I wrote down. I know. Now you have your own fan fiction to think about. Yes. Wow. So what do you think about thing. what do you think about the child's and the ending? 
send an email to Directors Club Podcast at gmail.com with your thing theories. I have string theories. <laughs> I send those. Hashtag thing theory on Twitter. Yes. AOL keyword <laughs> thing theory. Yeah, well, thanks for joining me today, Patrick, for this bonish episode commentary. Absolutely. I am bleary-eyed and mad because we just did two commentaries in a row. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty intense. Isn't I never it? really think about, like, I mean, yeah, we've done episodes four, four and a half hours long, and then I always think, oh, man, I'm depleted. I'm done. Yeah, me too. So it's, you know, we just did four hours. Pretty four good. Pretty good. Yeah. Good for us. Good and for us. And thank you for listening, everybody. We'll uh, be back, I'm sure, in the near future with another commentary. But in the meantime, if you want to hear, um, when is the season ending, you think, uh, for Tracks of the Ham? Oh, oh, that's right. Tracks of the Damned is my uh, horror film commentary track podcast. You might have heard of it. And uh, it's a seasonal podcast. That's how I ensure that I don't burn myself out. So it's weekly podcast every Friday. And then the last episode is going to air on November 15th. Very good. Very good. And so then I will, re- and then I will return uh, the following July. That's a long stretch. Uh, a, a long stretch of vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I no. You were just taking like a holiday break. And no. Then- no. Okay. I. I'm, it's twenty episodes every year from July to November. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That way you don't get burnt out. That's right. Good. Good. Good on you. And I can build up. I can build up. Like I could do some commentaries during the off season to build myself. Some like wiggle room, so mm-hmm. I don't have to rush to do them every week. Do a commentary in the wiggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be our next commentary. That's going to be our next commentary track. Is on the wiggles feature film. Exactly. <laughs> Entitled but, uh, "Who Killed the Wiggles." <laughs> <laughs> it was Childs. It was and, Childs. Um, so you can go to nowplayingnetwork.net/slash tracks of the damned. That's right. Or you can follow. Or you can follow us on Twitter at damned tracks. Or write us an email at uh, tracks of the damned at gmail.com. Yes, and uh, please visit directorsclubpodcast.com. Send me an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, Patrick Rapole, hey. for being on Directors Club. I, I had a great time.